1: welcome to it's all political the san francisco chronicles political podcast i'm joe gare the chronicles senior political writer and today we're going to talk about young voters and their lack of enthusiasm for joe biden our guest is ben wessel he's the executive director of next gen america that's the organization funded by billionaire former hedge fund manager slash environmentalist slash former presidential candidate Tom Steyer. NextGen's going to spend about $45 million in 11 battleground states this year to try to get young voters to back Biden and other Democrats. And they've done a lot of in-depth polling and research on what young voters want. Now, polls say that the voters under 35 support Biden by a wide, wide margin over President Trump. But are they going to vote for him? And are they going to campaign for him? And are they going to get their friends to vote for him? Ben has a few ideas about what it would take to make that happen. And now, here's my conversation with Ben Wessel. Ben Wessel, from your home in the lovely Sunset District of San Francisco to my home in lovely Oakland, welcome to It's All Political. Thank you so much, Joe. Good to be here. So your organization, Next Gen America, is, correct me for a while, you're spending more to connect with young voters in America than anybody else. So you're spending about you're going to be dropping about $45 million into 11 battleground states to help defeat uh, Republicans, uh, from President, Tr- President Trump
2: uh, on down to a lot of uh, Republican senators and members of Congress, correct? That's exactly right. And we think it's the biggest youth vote organizing and mobilization effort uh, in an election ever, which is pretty exciting. Wow. And,
1: uh, now before we, before we get to that and how you're going to do it, you got to get young voters. You're trying to get young voters to embrace Joe Biden. Uh, and you've done a lot of po- polling about when young voters want. Sure. And, uh, and we've reported on that in the Chronicle and it's is not pretty for Joe Biden. Uh, young people in one survey you did that we report on a while back said, found Biden to be a quote dated option who quote caters to the ultra wealthy. And, quote, represents the stagnation of American politics. Others say they are, quote, absolutely disgusted with the sexual allegations brought against him. Now, of course, people, uh, young people, (laughs) despite all that, prefer uh, Biden to Trump uh, overwhelmingly. But why do do young people feel this way about Joe Biden? What has your stuff told you? Uh, your, your survey and your research told you about this. Uh, dude's been in politics for 40 years. Uh, why do they feel this way about
2: it? Right. Him? I mean, I think for the most part, when we look at the young voters that are out there who are winnable for Joe Biden, that is to say, not people who have MAGA hats and posters on their walls, um, the vast majority of them don't really know much about him at all. And what they do know, they sort of would assume that he kind of falls into the bucket of a typical politician. And what's pretty great about our polling as someone who's trying with all my heart and soul to help Joe Biden win the election is that he's relatively undefined for most of these folks. They think that he is um, sort of like just a blank slate and that means that we have a real opportunity to introduce him to young people which is not something that you often get with someone who's been in politics for 50 years and so what we're seeing that young people really believe about joe biden is informed sure their first impressions is hey i don't know much about him he's an older guy he's a white guy that's not the demographic profile that describes most of our young people who are left-leaning but instead Once we start contrasting him on the issues against Donald Trump, people say, wow, I actually agree with him on a lot of stuff here. And so there's one thing about first impressions, and there's another thing about once they're given more information as they tune into the race, people are pretty receptive to seeing how a vote for Joe Biden would be a vote for progress in their own lives. Biden
1: ran an electability in the primary. Can he continue to do that now? Uh, You know, that's part of the reason he probably had the blank slate you know, with some young voters is because he, he did that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the central argument of Joe Biden's candidacy is that we have to restore the soul of the nation and I am uniquely suited as a candidate to help bring about a coalition that looks somewhat like the Obama coalition to defeat Donald Trump. And you'll remember that the Obama coalition was incredibly well positioned by uh, the bedrock support of young voters. And I think that the Biden team knows that they need to do that as well. And so every time they're saying we are the ones who can beat Donald Trump in the fall throughout the primary, it was always clear that they were talking about reliable Democrats, you know, working class voters, um, older black voters as sort of two important legs of the stool of support. But young voters have always been that third leg. And one of the things that we're seeing from the Biden campaign since they locked the nomination in in March and April is actually a real willingness to engage with young voters, right? We see them moving on issues that matter most to young people, everything from saying um, college should be free for working and middle class folks and that student debt should be forgiven Um, those are new positions that biden has been leaning into since the primary Um, he appointed aoc to his climate task force someone who really resonates with our young voters especially those who are skeptical towards joe biden and so i think what he's doing is saying i can be the most electable candidate and i understand that the potential cohort that i may have an issue with is young people and We've been excited and heartened to see the campaign start to make moves to really attract more support from young people and allow him to introduce himself. And then, frankly, we fill in the gap, right? We are a big youth vote super PAC who has a dream of helping to elect progressive candidates and elect Democrats who maybe aren't as progressive as we like so then we can hold them accountable on day one um, once they get elected. So I think between what the Biden campaign is doing and and helping him move on the issues and what we're doing in terms of communicating those real positions to young voters, it's a really nice one-two punch uh, that should help us get young people out to the polls in record numbers and supporting Biden by a two-to-one margin over someone who they just universally repudiate in Donald Trump.
1: Hours after we record this, the uh, Unity Task Force, that's a Groups of uh, folks from the uh, Biden camp and groups of folks from uh, supporters of Bernie Sanders uh, have been meeting for the last several weeks trying to come up with policies that um, uh, will be appealing to Bernie voters, many of them young voters. Uh, you alluded to AOC being on one of those committees. Um, how, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, a congresswoman from New York, what, um, how, important are those recommendations? Uh, I've, we've talked to, um, you know, at this story a few days ago about uh, talking to progressive leaders and they're saying, well, n- nobody's expecting that report to say, hey, suddenly Joe Biden's for Medicare for mm. all or Joe Biden is uh, for a Green New Deal, but they want to show that there's movement there. What what's your impression that young
2: people want to get out of that those uh, the unity meeting? Yeah, super great question. I mean to us we are hearing from young people that they want to be sure that Joe Biden will make moves on the issues that matter most to them and that impact their daily lives. Right. And so when we run through where Biden's positions already are, especially in contrast to Donald Trump, when it comes to, you know, expanding the affordable care act to include a public option, when it comes to, you know, getting to hundred percent clean energy by 2050, you know, when it comes to the whole suite of progressive issues, um, They're already keen on Joe Biden, right? The challenge, I think, is that people aren't quite sure whether he'll be able to get it done. And they're also not quite sure who he's listening to when push comes to shove. And so when we can make it really clear to folks coming out of these task forces, for example, that Biden is a real empathetic and sort of consensus-based leader that he takes – in information from a whole suite of progressive activists and allies and wants to empower them in his administration. And when he can stand sort of hand in hand with the folks from Bernie world and Biden world and Warren world and all the other political worlds um, and say, look, we're all aligned on what has to get done. That's the sort of powerful show of force that we think will really motivate young voters, right? These are the people that we're talking to the 4.7 million young people in 11 battleground States, like they're not getting into the weeds of a policy white paper, you know, as much as that would be awesome and make my nerdy heart sing. Instead, they're looking to signals from those key influencers, the people that they really trust to say, Oh cool. You're with Joe Biden. All right. I trust that if he's listening to you, he's got my best interests at heart.
1: The best thing that he could do is, uh, The 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 best that Biden can hope for is that coming out of these unity hearings, AOC, Pramila Jayapal, uh, other folks who are uh, tied into young voters, uh, people of color, uh, progressives, will say, "Hey, you know, we we get that Biden's listening to us at least."
2: Yeah, I think that's right, and I think like those are really good examples of uh, leaders that speak to relatively niche components of our audience, right? Those people who are skeptical, I think, of of Biden. But when you think about the leaders who are universally beloved amongst our young voter cohort, whether they pay attention to politics or not, it's the Barack and Michelle Obamas, it's the Bernie Sanders, it's the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movements. And so while I'm very excited about these sort of, you know, the Rokanas or or AOC's, like that speaks to a smaller segment of our audience. And we need to make sure that those big high profile names are coming out there and cheering um, this development as well. And I think that they will. And I'm excited to watch as the Biden campaign continues to learn how to mobilize those high-profile surrogates and get them in front of young people's eyeballs, right? The example that I think you and I have talked about before is the fact that Elizabeth Warren went on an Instagram Live with Miley Cyrus, and it reached millions of young people, not frankly only around this country, but around the world. And that is more effective, I think, than anything in getting people to understand, wow, someone that I really universally respect and trust is, is on board with Biden, and I'm hearing about it from the places where I normally consume my information. One
1: thing that, that Biden does talk about that does not resonate with young voters is when he sort of uh, appeals to this, that he will bring about a return to normalcy. Um, mm. And uh, that, uh, for young people, millennials, uh, m- my kids who are uh, college age and just beyond, uh, that doesn't sound appealing. Uh, normalcy, uh, these are folks who, you, you know, for the older folks, older millennials, they came of age around the... The economic crash of two thousand eight, um, and uh, and then you know th- this this group was already not going to be doing as well as their parents' generation uh, economically mm. at least, um, and then you know now we have the pandemic and you know we have uh, people like uh, my oldest daughter who just graduated college and her her uh, her pals like w- what the hell do we do now I mean there's there's no jobs or you know blah 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 um, what should his message be? Uh, biden's message be in terms of does he need to moderate that uh, return to normalcy stuff or is to get to young people or how does he what does he do with that i mean because that is a great part of his appeal to a lot of people
2: totally i mean luckily a word like normalcy means a lot of different things to different folks right i think for us When young voters are hearing a return to normalcy, we sort of hear about it as a return to sanity. And I think if he wants to add that word, you know, I'm not allowed to talk directly to the Biden campaign, but sanity seems like a decent word to you, (laughs) right? Sanity, not normalcy. or, or how about both? Yes, like, We are in an insane moment where we have a literal racist in the White House cheering on, you know, the Confederacy uh, and, and white supremacists. And for young people who are overwhelmingly, um, I would say, the most tolerant people in this country when you look at sort of polling by age, that's insane. And so what we're asking for from Joe Biden is, is a return to sanity, especially on some of the, uh, most pressing issues of our time, whether it's climate change and listening to scientists or racial justice and listening to people who are a bit more human minded and a little let, less crazy minded. Um, I, and I think that what we need to do, you know, is not, pretend that there was some grand time in the 50s and 60s when everything was hunky-dory for all Americans. I would say that's exactly what the Trump playbook has been in terms of Make America Great Again. Instead, what Biden should be painting and what I think he is, is a picture of what a more just World actually looks like one where America is is living up to its ideals that perhaps we never have before. And what young people are incredibly tolerant of is people saying, "Look, I'm striving to move our country forward, and I can't do it alone, and I need your help." And so I hear you when you're saying um, the the police. Are a part of a structurally racist system. I'm listening when you say the current economic uh, calamity is an extension of what we've been hearing from young people for decades, which is to say the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer and the poor are overwhelmingly young. And so The fact that Biden can say, I want to make it a more sane, fair, just America that lives up to the ideals uh, that we our country was founded on. And that means working hand in glove with progressives, whether they're activists or experts to get to that better world. That's what I want to be hearing from the Biden campaign. And I think that's what young people expect. I mean, young people have really good BS detectors and have been pretty cynical about politics up to this moment, in part because we've heard lofty promises before and they've never really come true. So instead, what we want is some real talk, which is, I can't guarantee you that we're going to get everything done that you want to get done, but I promise that I'll work like hell to make it happen and I want you in the fight alongside me. That's the most honest and persuasive argument that I think Biden could make.
1: We'll have more of my conversation with Ben Wessel after this short break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Since you first did some of your initial research, uh, the, uh, the Movement for Black Lives has... Uh you know, really caught fire across the country. It is a multiracial, uh, coalition, of uh, driven by, uh, largely by young people. Um, how has that changed, um, what the, the work that you're doing and how has that changed, uh, the race, not only just for president, but for uh, Senate, as we alluded to earlier, we're working on those. How has that reshaped what's going on?
2: I mean, I think we're looking at a political realignment in this country where it used to basically be, you know, black people calling for equality versus a whole system that seemed to be stacked against them. We're moving from that into younger people versus the racists. And I think that is a huge potential for what the future of politics in this country will look like, not only in November, but honestly, for decades to come. We are seeing, even amongst young, self-identified Republicans, overwhelming support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Similarly, we're seeing overwhelming support for taking strong action on climate change and raising the minimum wage, and all these things that, if you look at any other age cohort, that seems to be sort of defined by Democrats. So we are We are – and I know it's always so easy to say demographics are destiny and there will be an inevitable uh, shift in this country where the the multiracial coalition driven by young people changes everything. But what this Black Lives Matter movement that's in the streets and this uprising that's happening this summer shows us is there are key accelerator events that make that inevitable transition happen much, much, much quicker. And so – I think that that has huge ramifications for, you know, not only um, the presidential and lots of down ballot races. We're already seeing this in Democratic primaries where a bunch of young, scrappier black candidates seem to be winning, but also in states where we have white folks stepping up. And joining in in the Black Lives Matter movement in a way that they haven't before and in states like Maine or Iowa where there are tough U.S. Senate races, I think that will show that young white people are standing in solidarity with young black people and and all young people of color um, and will vote out the folks that are not sort of responding to this moment. In terms of what it means for NextGen and how we run our programs differently, we are seeing a vast out support, uh, outpouring of support of young people in the streets making their voice heard. And that is an engaged and enthused electorate from which we can be talking, right? So instead of our text messages having to convince people that their voice matters we're saying we know your voice matters and you know your voice matters that's why you're in the street yelling so loud and we just have a more receptive audience that we can then take through our sort of voter concierge service of here's how you register here's how you request a mail-in ballot here's how you can contrast the candidates that are on your ballot so it's a more ripe to engage cohort um which is pretty awesome. And it's really nice as an organizer when I'm making phone calls to be able to say, oh, cool, you were in the streets? Yeah, me too. That was really powerful, wasn't it? Let's take that energy with us to November. And we're just seeing a lot of people resonating with that.
1: Well, uh, first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save five minutes by uh, of jokes by not making fun of the voter concierge service uh, um, but, <laughs> but okay but uh, speaking of your your group's goal is to register at least 270,000 young uh, people and these are people aged 18 to 35 to vote and mm-hmm. turn out 330,000 already registered voters in those 11 battleground states that we alluded to earlier uh you got a, a full-time organizing staff you got 100 150 people in those states yeah. but but the best but research shows you know this better than I do the best way to reach people is uh, young voters in particular is to talk to them face to face. That's going to be all but improbable now. You you alluded to how this is this you know the 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 silver lining of these of this uh, racial justice movement is that the, you've got people in the streets, you've got people out and active. How do you do this? How do you do what you're going to do during a pandemic?
2: Right. Yeah, the mechanics of how we win are very different, but the calculus is still the same. We know that there's a ton of young people out there who need to be sure that they register and commit to vote. The things that we are doing differently is we're not relying on making sure those registration or commit to vote conversations are happening, you know, on the quad in front of a dorm or uh, in the lobby of the housing project. Instead, they're happening via text message. They're happening on Instagram DMs. They're happening in the YouTube comments, right? We are well positioned because young people are such digital natives and we already spend most of our time on our phones Mm -hmm. and online, now it seems like we're spending all of our time on our phones and online, uh, welcomed by our Gen X and Boomer brethren, Uh, we now have, I think, a real opportunity to leverage that insane amount of networkedness that young people are, right? When we talk to young voters and we say, hey, you're sitting at home, you may have lost your job, you may be worried about how are you going to collect Uh, enough money to pay your rent, Um, we are able to say, hey, look, you can actually do something about this. The best thing you can do right now is text three of your friends and make sure they're registered to vote. Those are the sorts of conversations that, sure, we were always trying pre-COVID, but now are the way that we are going to actually make sure that we win. I'll be honest. I think that the challenging piece for all of this is that Republicans are erecting as many barriers as possible to make it as hard as possible for first time voters or folks who are new to the electoral Mm -hmm. process um, to like they're making it as hard as possible to cast a ballot. And so one of the things that we want to make sure we're doing is giving people the updates they need about, hey, you can register and vote at the same time at the polls in state X or, hey, you can request a vote by mail ballot today. Do it now. So you're not scrambling to get it done in October. Those are very different and new conversations that we have to have because we're unable to do things the way we've been traditionally able to do them. Um, but I'm buoyed by how many people are already taking action. I mean, we just in the last couple of weeks, we've gotten over 50,000 young people to request vote by mail ballots. The vast majority of those have been in Florida, which, as you know, tends to be the tipping point state. Uh, and it's the sort of thing that gives me hope. That young people are rising to this moment and are able to navigate the kind of BS system uh, that's been constructed to make it harder for them to participate. So uh, four years ago, Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton, was
1: ahead of Trump uh, nearly two to one among young voters at this stage of the race, and um, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, exit polls showed her winning about fifty five percent to thirty six percent among young voters. But one in ten Sanders voters, primary voters back Trump in the general election. and That was according to a Tufts University study. Do you see the same thing happening again today? There was a poll in the New York Times as we're recording this today that said uh, that that Biden has a lot of Sanders voters locked up and a lot of voters of his other Democratic rivals locked up. But do you see that happening again, the potential for that happening again?
2: Honestly, no. I mean, we are just in such a different environment so one of the things that's great is i do think that we've consolidated support amongst democratic primary voters behind joe biden like that new york times poll suggested the challenge will always be can we motivate enough young people to go out and cast a ballot versus staying at home compared to casting their ballot for donald trump i was looking at some comparison polls between now and and summer 2016 and for example pew had a poll that had Um, Hillary up 30. We, the 2020 poll has Biden up 40. And I think that those eye popping margins are likely to stay with us through November. The challenge is, how do we ensure that we're mobilizing enough of those people to go vote? Because if you have a 40% margin, um, you want to make sure you're getting every last one of those folks out to the polls or sending in a mail ballot. And when we look at the, most successful democratic wave elections, whether it's 2008 where Obama won two to one, or 2018 where Democrats running for the House basically had a 70 30 split amongst the youngest Americans, I I find it likely that we will see the same eye popping margins this cycle. And what NextGen is trying to do is ensure that we're getting every inch of support as possible from people who are already likely to vote and then motivate people who are sort of on the fence about whether it's worth their time to cast a ballot or not to ensure that they have everything they need to go vote and to go vote for Joe Biden and Democrats up and down the ticket.
1: Before I let you go back to enjoying the fog and the sunset district, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about the Senate where you guys are, uh, as we said earlier, you're in 11 States. Um, you alluded to the race in Maine, you alluded to the race in Iowa. What are the toughest pickups going to be um, for Democrats in the uh, t- the toughest seats to either flip or win or hold yep. on to?
2: Yep, totally. I mean, I've got my eye on two races in particular. The Iowa Senate race is a fascinating challenge where two women are running against each other. And basically, it's a corollary for the Biden-Trump Uh, face-off, right? You have Joni Ernst who stood with Donald Trump uh, every step of the way who, when she was elected uh, six years ago, said she would be an independent voice and all of the stuff that people always say and then don't really follow up on. Um, And we've got a relatively moderate but pretty awesome and compelling personal story candidate in Teresa Greenfield on the Democratic side. The question will be can young people in Iowa be motivated to go cast a ballot and will the Republicans try and make it as hard as possible for them to have their voice heard if everyone is able to cast a ballot I think that race is really down to the wire even though Trump is very likely to win Iowa uh, at the top of the ticket I think the other race that gets me really excited is the North Carolina Senate race where you have Tom Tillis I know these are like I'm a little bit into like obscure races yeah I I wouldn't have picked that I thought thought that would be the
1: toughest pickup I would think that next to Ernst (laughs)
2: Well, I think we're looking at the hard races, right? I mean, I feel pretty good about Colorado. I feel really good about Arizona. I think Maine is a roll of the dice right now. But, man, Susan Collins has pissed people off. And, boy, is it fun to organize people against her. Um, But I think North Carolina, where, again, you have, um, you know, a Trump lackey and Tom Tillis running against a sort of independent-minded Cal Cunningham, where it's about – expanding the electorate. And that's how we'll win. You know, North Carolina is a huge, very diverse state where we have a ton of different young people from every corner of the state who sort of represent everything from crazy Bernie lefties to, you know, evangelicals who are supporting Democrats to uh, folks, you know, rural black folks who have never been talked to by political campaigns before. I mean, it's a really interesting uh, cross-section of America, and we're seeing that poll be... Neck, the polls be neck and neck, and I think that when Democrats are able to expand the electorate in a state like North Carolina, where we can motivate people to come out and cast a ballot, uh, that's where we, that's where we sneak by some of these Republicans who like to think that they have some of these races uh, put away. All right. It's gonna be close, man. It's it's uh, gonna be. We we'll, we'll wait we'll, one hundred and eighteen days. <laughs> but who's counting? Oh, you and me. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: and it's and and one hundred eighteen days to election day, and another what? Fifteen to count the votes. Thirty to count the votes. So it's we shouldn't we shouldn't I, we shouldn't set expectations like that.
2: Uh, all eyes on Maricopa County. <laughs> it'll take a while, right. but it'll be worth it.
1: Ben Wessel, thank you so much for being on. It's all political.
2: Joe, thanks so much for having me. It was a real delight.
1: I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Ben for joining us today and the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And a shout out for our theme music, which is Cattle Call, written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, whether you're a young voter or just old in the way, as Jerry Garcia might say, it's all political.